0: the network for the av industry what are you listening to this this is av this this this
1: this is is
2: av nation
0: this is av nation this is is edtech episode number 12 recorded friday january 25th 2013 sled dogs and other bits Welcome to EdTech, the education-focused podcast uh, given to you, put on to you by the guys over at AV Nation. This is for, about, and as it happens, by uh, gentlemen from the education world. Uh, we we kind of gathered this around, and, and this kind of sprouted out of the Infocom Technology Manager's Council. So if you're a technology manager, welcome. Uh, we do kind of focus on the education world because all four of us live in the ivory towers. Uh, the first up, is uh, Mr. Matthew Silverman. He is from George Mason University. How are you, sir?
3: Not too bad. How's it going, Tim?
0: Doing well. Further up the East Coast and further down the temperature dial is uh, our beloved, currently our beloved leader, uh, Mr. Scott Tyner. How are you, sir? He's from, he's from Bates College in, uh, in Maine. I'm
1: doing great. Good day to you, Tim. And it is um, above zero here today. so we're
0: that, that is a plus.
3: Yes. That is. You're, you're actually warmer than I am.
0: <laughs> what are you there?
3: Well, it depends what's uh, – we're below 32. It depends how you want to define zero.
0: Well, get to 30, uh, Celsius or Fahrenheit, come on.
1: <laughs> I define zero as zero.
0: Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Although there was an article uh, recently in Gizmodo about uh, we should all go to metrics soon. We should. we should. And I agree. I agreed with the article. So it was funny. <laughs> um, but currently we're not. So uh, farther out west, uh, not at zero in any way, shape, or form. Uh, this is Greg Brown from UCLA that stands for the Uni- University of California Los Angeles. How are you sir?
2: Good morning. Where where it is 62 degrees however which is is very close to freezing on our scale. You suck on so many levels. <laughs> hey, it's also gray and, gray and raining.
0: But it's raining. It's not snow. <laughs> Again, the California boy doesn't get it.
2: I, I, I'm trying to be as magnanimous as, pos- yeah. as possible. I mean, you know, can I help it if it's 70 degrees and sunny, 300 and some odd days a year out here?
0: He still has his surfboard stashed, stashed to the <laughs> top of his his uh, his wooden laden station wagon. All right, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff this month. Uh, a couple surface tablet thingies. One is Microsoft. Uh, they got a Pro one, and Panasonic has a huge. Um, one a couple things from actually from the AV network, really good articles. Um, how to do convergence? How to convince your or, or tell your your uh, your IT guy that uh, there's going to be some AV stuff on your network, so it's okay. Trust us. Uh, and Infocom has come up with a um, with a checklist. And Mister Tyner kvetches about tab tension screens, and I have a, a thing for him on that. Uh, but first, a uh, question for you guys, and this is this is how I was introduced to Ben Q. Uh, we're going to talk about Ben Q for a second. Uh, a friend of mine who knows what I do, and and he he'll, he'll pick my brain from time to time, as I'm sure you know, other ones uh, guys will do you as well. Um, he said, "You know what? There's this inexpensive projector. I've never heard of it before. It's called BenQ. You know, the the, the specs on it look really cool for the for the price. And so I checked it out. And ha- as as luck would have it, I was going headed to Infocom uh, in a week or so after that, and checked them out. And I like BenQ projectors. Um, they are less expensive uh, when you compare them to, um, you know, other other projectors, I guess, uh, with the same specs. Uh, Scott, we're going to kick this off with you though. They have flat panels now." And they're not <laughs> what you would say um, value engineered. You know, they're, they're not, I mean, the list price on them are, are pretty hefty. However, they're touch panels as well. So they're kind of getting into the smart world. They're almost like, okay, so, so they're smart boards built into touch panels, built into flat panels, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, I th- and uh, I think we might have talked about. Some a similar product um, uh, last month um, i this is something that we're really interested in bait in at Bates these um, flat panels that are large you know th- they go up to sixty five inches here that that are in the front of the room and and faculty and students can interact with them um, you know the the price for me is the thing that has really come down a lot I mean like you said the sixty five inches is still almost nine thousand dollars but you know that's a lot cheaper than what it was a few years ago. Um, I think that the other advantage of these that I really like is that they're not, there's no projected image. Mm-hmm. You're not casting a shadow. Um, I think the other big piece of it's going to be that with Windows 8 coming out, a um, an operating system designed for touch, that these are going to just become more and more popular. I think that these kind of things, whether they're BenQ or somebody else, are are the technology to watch over the next you know year or so.
0: Let me ask you a question: Is it is it an issue um, because we have kind of standardized on about a 100, 110 inches diagonal for our screens? Now that's that's four by three. As we move to um, as we move to sixteen nine, sixteen ten, the the the, the uh, width of the diagonal is a little different. Is it an issue that they are not up to the the hundred inch diagonal? Or is it is it okay that the I think the biggest one was sixty five inches? Is that right? Yeah, sixty five inch uh, diagonal. Is that an issue?
1: Well, if we're talking about BenQ in particular, it, yes, it is an issue. There are other manufacturers that have bigger ones. Okay. I don't think I've I've seen one yet that advertises a hundred and ten inch. Um, but you know what what they, if if they put a video output on them, you know then you can do what we've always done, which is put one in front of a room that has an output that projects to a larger screen for people, mm, exactly. um, and you can you can still stand there and interact with it um, in a much more natural way um, than standing behind a podium is.
2: That, that's the killer app I see. Is the secondary that, that, output? That, that you can, yeah, that we can, we can we've, got, we've got something interactive we can put in a room for more than 30 or 40 people. We can put it in, you know, two, three, 400 person room. And they can go up there and they can doodle and annotate to their heart's content. And we just have to run it into the system and we can blast it on multiple screens across the room.
0: So then, it doesn't matter if it's sixty-five inch. You just give them their own little personal doodad, and then you, right? Or, or are we still looking for no, that?
2: I, no, I, I think that's, I think that's right. I, I think, I, I agree with Scott that these have some really neat possibilities. These, these interactive flat panels. I think these are going to be. These or whatever these turn into, you know, some sort of interactive sheet that we roll out in place of the boards, you know, someday here soon. But I think they're going to be, they're going to be much more the the app than, um, than uh, instructors sitting there and trying to write on a on a tablet on the top of their lectern or something like that because it's it it maintains the traditional writing on the board sort of uh, thing okay. and that I don't sense. see that going away. It's sort of the best of both worlds. So I I, I think this has a lot better possibility. See, I'll I'll kind
3: of pick a bone with that. I, I I definitely agree. I think within three years we're probably all going to be told by our faculty touch has to be in our classrooms, and wow. it'll, be the, it'll be the next digital cliff, if you will, uh, the thing that we know we need to have, but we're going to be behind on. Uh, simply, I mean, if you look at it, you know, how many tablets do we see, you know, with Windows 8 and um, putting it in? I'm sure at some point Apple will suck it up and put it on their computers as well. <laughs> and we're, we're just going to need it. Um, now, here's where I'll kind of differ. I think we're catering to a very old style of instruction, pr- primarily those of our retiring professors, with the, it must be on the front wall. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually think I would probably be more inclined to like, put like, a 24-inch monitor on an articulating arm, and maybe not even in a traditional lectern setup, but the idea is don't make them turn their back to the students to use it. Because that that's mm. that's a big complaint I have heard, um, I mean it's nice to see someone else is getting into this space. Uh, I've been following the sharp, you know the sharp boards which yep. are comparable. Um, we haven't rolled any ones out, but we've had some really serious conversations about it. Uh, Tim, you hit it right, nail on the head. It's it's the size factor. The 80 inch mm-hmm. sharp is getting to the point where we'd probably put that in our seminars. Um, smart is the big loser here yeah. uh, because yeah. we, we, we've actually said the next time we build a seminar room where we've been putting in a smart board, uh, an 80-inch Sharp is going in instead. You know, if BenQ by the show had an 80-inch product, I would definitely evaluate it. Uh, we, we've been looking at anyone who can do something in that space who doesn't require a pen, which is the big problem with a lot of them.
0: Let me ask you guys this, and Matt, we'll start with you on this, and you guys feel free to jump in. Two, two questions. We'll start with the first one then. Uh, you mentioned uh, smart being the big loser. Are they to a point where they could say, you know what, let's check the hardware, let's license the software, or are we in a world where, you know, actually before the show even started, we talked talk about uh, IT managers and the fact that, you know, most of us are in some way, shape, or form involved in the IT department of our, of our respective colleges. Yeah. Um, are we in a Windows and or PC and or Android world to where Sharp is just going to lose out because of things like Windows 8?
3: You, you I'm mean sorry. Smart. smart? Yes, smart, yeah. Smart's going to lose um, out. I, I think um, hmm. Smart's product probably works well in K12. We've never had a lot of adoption. We install it, and we probably have. 30 or so of each boards or uh, smart uh, podiums. Um, I've never actually had a faculty request to learn more about the product. Uh, from a IT management point of view, it is the biggest piece of bloated, inefficient software we've ever worked <laughs> with. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm saying that on a purely technical level. I'm yeah. not talking about feature set. There goes they, that sponsorship. <laughs> they, they desperately need to reinvent that software and I, I don't think they haven't really shown they have that type of agility. I, I think they actually had a great opportunity that they could have rebranded themselves coming into the era of touch and coming into the era of interactivity and they just decided to stay with their old core function and they kind of got left behind. One other thing and I'm, look, I'm actually just looking at this web page that comes to mind is actually something we're working with our emissions department on where I could see... Putting a panel like this in a public space, uh, and we were talking about putting some interactive digital signage up for our missions group. And not quite classrooms, but I could see something like this, and that's when you get into the smaller sizes.
0: Well, and then let me ask this, and we'll, we'll, Greg, we'll, we'll take it to you and, and, and Scott. Is there going to be a case where uh, Matt said, you know, the next three to five years, faculty are going to start coming to us and saying, hey, this all has to be touched? Um, is somebody going to come up with a, an economical model? Let's just say this, because anybody can build anything. But a, a case where, you know what, the whiteboards, which replace the blackboards, um, are going to be replaced by something that's just a screen that can be a whiteboard, or it can be um, a touchscreen, or it can be an interactive display. Is that something that we see coming down the pike? Again, mm-hmm. economically.
2: I think it's only a matter of time. And and I think, I I'm, and I'm I'm not saying that we won't be seeing more, tablets and we're not going to get um, faculty who want to use tablets. But I think the limits to a tablet as far as the space, and uh, when you have that great big area up on the wall, you you can do some of the things we're seeing with with some of these multi-touch uh uh screens and monitors where you're you're moving things around and you're sorting through things and you're rearranging stuff and I, I I just see so much more versatility on a larger surface like that that you know we've we've already got that space on the front wall um I, I see that as the ne- next direction we're going and you know in, in some rooms it's if we get more interactive you know maybe we'll have one in in front of uh, each table or at the end of each table or on each table or something like that, you know, uh, where we can, you know, you can, you can toss up like like we're seeing in the interactive classrooms where you can toss up what's being done on any of the surfaces or any of the, uh, screens at any of the different tables in the room. So, um, yeah, that, that's the direction I see this stuff going.
0: Well, and, and Scott, let's take that into the very next one of our, our other stories is the fact that Here comes Microsoft Pro, uh, the Microsoft Surface Pro, right? Uh, It goes on on sale February 9th. Is this, this, it it, it feels like the Surface has kind of snuck up on everybody, and suddenly it's what all the IT guys are talking about. It's what half of the AV guys are talking about. Is this like some, some Trojan horse that suddenly, you know what, because it's Microsoft and because Microsoft... Uh, plays well with the enterprise guys all of a sudden it's something that we're going to have to worry about
1: well i think we're going to have to worry about it there's there's no question that we're going to see it i think that for me and and maybe i'm a, a apple fanboy I, I that you know i've been accused of that before <laughs> I, it just, it just it doesn't excite me you know when you, when we look at this surface pro which costs $1000 mm-hmm. and you then need to buy a $130 keyboard so you've bought um, a $1200 laptop computer mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, you know it, I, it just it, that doesn't excite me the way you know an, an iPad or you know something like that really completely changed how people interact with things. so we're going to see it there's no question. I don't think that um, I don't get the feeling it's going to have quite the hit in the um, home market that you know the iPad does. And so I, I think we might see that contrast that we're used to seeing sometime, which is the IT groups want you to use the Surface, but the fact is everybody's still using the iPad or some other device. Yeah. So it, it's, um, you know, and, and to, to speak about the, the touch panel, the touch screens for one more second, mm-hmm. I think what we need to remember is that, um, or just think about it. it's one of these things you don't really ever think about. An 80 inch panel is about as big as you can get and still reach all parts of it.
0: Yeah, that's you know, true. You know
1: you, you know, you can't put up a two hundred inch panel. Like you can't reach the whole thing, and then or it's too close to the floor. So the answer is, yeah, absolutely. These are going to be economical because they can only get so big.
0: That's a right. very good point, actually. Right, um, Mr. Silverman, is this is the surface going to be the next great bane of AV um, technology managers, or you know, like uh, Scott said, is it going to be more of the fact that? IT is going to try to, you know, institutionalize these things, but we're still going to use our, our iPads at the house.
3: You know, I don't know. I mean, from from a support point of view, Microsoft, in my opinion, frankly, plays a lot better uh, when we have to bring it into our systems. Um, you know, it's not like they throw HECP on randomly like Apple. Um,
2: uh, but it, it makes your life interesting.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I could do with a little less interesting these days, but um, <laughs> uh, it, I, I don't actually know if there'll be a lot of adoption of the Surface. Um, I, I Frankly, I, I've, after I've been thinking about the Surface for both the, the Surface RT and the Pro, I, I don't really get that. I, I think Microsoft just felt the need to make an iPad. Um I, I do think what we're gonna see a lot of, and it may be six months from now, but if you look at what came out of CES, is we're gonna see a lot of UltraBooks or notebooks with touch screens or and that they're convertibles. So it may not be the surface that we're seeing, but I do actually think we'll see a lot of Microsoft touch applications. And now we're gonna get the big cry from Microsoft people that we've been getting from iPad people, which is how do I display it wirelessly?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I'm optimistic, and I think we talked about this on last show, two shows. it kind of all bl- uh, blends together. But is the um, is is Miracast the new uh, Wi-Fi uh, indoor standard coming down the road? And I mean, we're probably a year or two away on that, but th- that's going to be the big thing that. I think the surface, and then all its brethren start pushing us into.
0: Mr. Gregor, is this something that we're, you're, you're going to have to worry about? Is is the surface, or is it just we're still in a in a iPad world?
2: Oh gosh, remember, like I've explained before, we're we're completely separate AV and IT here, and 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 IT is very very decentralized with our what is it, 34 IT departments or whatever it is. You know, we're we're still kind of. Stuck in the, you know, these are the, the the hallowed old musty,
0: brick-lined halls. Here so are you, you're uh, still using overhead projectors, aren't you? You, you mean other, You mean people have stopped using those? Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, And, and as just far as our, some uh, a week ago. Uh, yeah, well he did yeah, really yeah
2: yeah <laughs> combo decks yeah I felt really great about that but. God forbid we can make any sort of a decision about future technology around here. I,
0: yeah, but here's the thing: you're, you're not the only person on this call, at least that's, that's purchased a handful of them in the last year. I mean, I'm still in the same boat you are. You know, we still have legacy. Um, let's call them legacy instructors
2: <laughs>
0: instead of old yeah, and people.
2: And see, they're not they're not going to retire. They just die off. Oh,
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> They don't leave.
2: They don't retire.
0: <laughs> they just they, fade they into the woodwork. Like,
2: what's what's the word that they've got for them? Um, Preserved? No,
0: there's Ameri- like a Amer- America.
2: Yeah, yeah. Fa- yes. Faculty emeriti or something oh, like that. Oh yes. Which, best I can tell, means they're like, um, never mind. <laughs>
0: um, I understand. Re-
2: re- really, really old. Yeah.
1: Next topic, because I do like my job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my, I, I mean, I, we, you mean we, somebody there listens to this show? <laughs> no. They don't have the internet in Maine yet. So. <laughs> it's too close. It's too close to Canada. And there it is.
1: This is, this is <laughs> a show? I thought we were just having a, a month conference call. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> You're taping?
0: Well, not taping. So, all right. sorry. Uh, we've beat up on all of our, our legacy faculty. We can edit
2: that part out, right?
0: Um, yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. Um, let's, let's continue on the main line. By the way, thank you if you're still listening. Uh, you're listening to EdTech. Uh, the gentleman there is, is Greg Brown from UCLA. Scott Tyler from Bates College and Mr. Matthew Silverman from George Mason University. Uh, Scott, we're going to kick this off with AV Network. Um, continue on talking about our brethren in the IT departments depending on um where they are in your own personal you know uh, flowchart of of hierarchy um for me they're about 20 steps away above me but they're still above me um one of the the blogs here was talking about uh five ways to tell the IT guy that AV will be on his network uh with things like um, you know the the Extron products and the AMX products and and the Crestron products and Kramer and all these other things now projectors are not now for, for a few years projectors have been coming out with their own built-in um LAN ports and wireless now we're we're there and I'm not going to say whether they like it or not we have to play nice with these guys right Scott I mean we have to yeah. almost make it like their idea
1: <laughs> I, you know you hit you hit the nail on the head right there um there are people that we that we meet at, at colleges and universities who uh, and, and I mean employees in certain categories that fit stereotypes exactly right yeah. um, librarians often fit an exact stereotype um, <laughs> i t people often seem to follow a, a fit a stereotype We have been fairly successful at Bates with with re- relating to them again in relationship with them um By doing exactly what you just said is letting it be their idea Um, that I don't um, I know what I need and and I could simply tell them that um, but I will I will then never get that Mm. so what I what I need to do is tell them a very basic idea of what I'm trying to do and let them suggest to me um, exactly how to get there. Um, you know, and, and I and I joke a little bit. We've actually worked really hard to to develop that relationship because I think this article from um, from from Joey is uh, is really true, which is that convergence is not simply a projector on the network. And we'll talk about Matthew's article here in a few minutes, which I think even gets into more of that it's so much more than that. And so your if if your stuff's not on the network right now. Um, you are so behind the eight ball that uh, you've got to get caught up immediately Uh, because we're not simply talking about control systems being on the network now. Um, We're we're talking about a a whole different world of convergence. Um, And so I do think he he gives some good points and some good thoughts here. Um, But you've got to work with them. And um, I think that we are at a point now where where it doesn't hurt uh, to go out and get some type of certification or education uh, in the IT and networking world.
0: That's actually a really good idea. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I mean, Matt Scott says, you know, let's start talking their language. Let's get, you know, let's get some certs, some letters after our name that look like theirs, right? Mr. Silverman. Some of
2: us yep. already have some letters behind no. our
3: name. Well, no, you, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I mean, I think Scott hit it right. One, I, I may be one of the few people who actually has a very positive relationship with our networking staff um we've been working with them i guess the first time we put devices on the network was 2003 and right. it took us a couple of years to figure it out but really the direction we went to is respecting what they do and that they have to have a level of expertise in their field the same way we have to have a le- level of expertise in our field and there's actually a great mutual respect between the two groups now what we found work best for us was we started giving them functional requirements rather than telling them what they had to do. And <laughs> it was amazing. Actually, it, it, there was, I think it was like in 2009, I, I can look back and I can tell you when the breakthrough happened. We had this breakthrough moment and they said, okay. And we had a couple of planning meetings. They came back with a plan, um, looked reasonable. Uh, got my boss to sign off on the new costs and we have not had a networking problem with our gear since then, other than any sort of campus-wide problem. We actually have a dedicated uh, VLAN uh, for our AV gear. They work with us on traffic filtering and making sure everything works well. And it's it's really what's gone well. Now, we're hitting a point that we've realized we kind of take the next step, which is where you, I think, we're going with the certification. My personal feeling though, I can't say we've adopted this yet at George Mason, is everyone who's a technology manager should start thinking about having a CCENT on staff, which is your basic Cisco certification. Um, The reason for that is you need to be able to talk their language. It's not doing their job, but we're actually finding with some of the technologies we're deploying, we create a network condition that we don't even know how to describe. Mm-hmm. And so our goal is to get to resolution fast. We need to be able to at least provide them with the information they need to do their job so they can resolve our problem. And And that's kind of where we've started going with this.
0: Mm. That's actually, that's a, that's a really good idea. And, and Greg, is this something that, I mean, I'm not Cisco certified in any way, shape or form. Is this something that you think maybe we can do, I'm not going to say on the side, but something we can, you know, we go, a way, I guess, to ing- in- engender ourselves to the IT guys by saying, hey, I'd like to learn your language.
2: I like that idea of, of the certification. I, I was. Wondering if somebody would su- was going to suggest something specific. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, it, it, something like that is never going to hurt. Um, any any sort of knowledge like that that's that's going to bridge that gap. I think here, it, you know, we, we haven't really had a lot of problems. It's just been a little slow sometimes to get up on everybody up to speed. Um, things being so decentralized here... Um, I, I don't know whether that helps us or hurts us. We actually got dedicated VLANs in our in our classrooms, boy, the better part of ten years ago to to handle uh, um, extra media link controllers that could not authenticate. And everything on campus has to authenticate to get anywhere on the network. Uh, it's <clears throat> It's very closed down. So usually it's it's a, if anything, it's a game of figuring out, Whose network you're running across, and what ports they've got closed, or or what blocking they're doing. Um, you know, I I've been doing my first wrestling here with uh, a DMPs 300 and and getting it to talk to its touch panel and tying into it, uh, you know, from my computer with Toolbox. And it's for a few days there, it was nothing but you know on again off again why isn't it working oh they the port died again and you know they they kept shutting us down for you know we we would figure out one problem it would work for half a day and then it would stop working and they would be baffled and we would be baffled and we would suggest something and they're like oh you need to do that too and and it it's it's been really weird stuff you know the 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 having two ip addresses in the dmps whoa the network saw something that needed to two IP addresses, and it's like, okay, can I cut your bits off? And... um, um, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's an interesting turn of phrase. Yes, Yes, it uh, was. Yes, it was. (laughs) It's it's annoying, but perhaps not as painful as it sounds. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, all sorts of stuff like that, And and the DMPS is just plain... A a chatty Kathy, and that got it shut down one at one point too. And um, what was the other thing? Um, it it it's just been it was it was a string of like a half a dozen. Oh wait a second, why is our data off again? Oh well, I don't know. Are you guys doing this too? Well,
0: yeah. Okay, so here here's the thing. Let, let's let's bring in another article that that Matt sent us, and that's the the convergence factor, the ITAV convergence. Um, is this something where uh, you know what? It, it, and I don't know the Infocom version of IT. Okay, um, I'm sure that there's a show out there, or there's a, an organization out there. And I apologize, I'm not knowledgeable enough to know that. Any of you three can, can sound really smart at this point. Um, but is this something where we should go to that show, and they should come to ours, and or they, we should go to their? manufacturers training and they should go to Crestron, you know, at least some basic and, and some basic Xtron and some basic AMX Um, just so we can all, we all can in truth converge together.
1: Mm. I think that, you know, I've always had the opinion that there are people, people are experts in their fields. Right. And so, um, and then we re- need to rely on professionalism in order to, to relate back and forth between departments. And so I consider myself an expert in, in my field, and I know that we've got some networking experts here at Bates. Um, so I, I don't think it's a bad idea to, to learn some things, but I, I think that it – I I don't feel like I've got the, oper- the time to be an expert in both. hmm And so, you know, one of the things – the other thing that I've always found very useful and I have to remind myself of often is that while we're often very – the very public face of where we work because we're standing in a room with 100 people who are waiting for a presentation to happen, the networking guys are responsible for a lot. And so when they tell you something can't go on the network or they're hesitant about it, not because they're just being jerks. It's because the network's working right now and they like it that way. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so that we've got to, you know, kind of keep that in mind as well.
0: And that's valid.
3: I, I didn't think about that. So. The, I was going to say there. there's something to think about when you said, Tim, you know, can, should we go to their show or should they come to ours? It's it's not as simple as that when you get into integration. Um, I mean, yeah. take a look at a couple of the things that I discussed in this article. Um, you know, you look at what, for example, Dominion implemented They're. Integrating touch panels with a room reservation system that needed a uh, you know an AV guy just to figure it out, an AV programmer, a DBA, and then an apps developer, uh, as well as probably a web developer to pull that all together. So it, it's a little bit different than the traditional AV approach, which is you know the one man band or the one you know the one shop band. Yeah. That it, it, it's it's approaching more of the IT development where you have to build a cross-functional team. Uh, a great example that I unfortunately wasn't allowed to put in this article, but I can share uh, is something that uh, University of South Carolina is doing. Uh, Jonathan Booth down there. Uh, they had a problem where they want to be able they wanted to have their control systems text message uh, when they uh, had issues but they for a lot of reasons weren't allowed to do that because it could incur costs on people's phones and things like that so Jonathan actually put together an integration uh, where he used Twitter uh, because people could subscribe for free or get it over email and he had to work with APIs, he had to work with web development, he had to work with cross run programming to make this all work and I, I think that's kind of where I was trying to talk about with this is it's really pushing us to think differently and I I get the feeling you know I've definitely not been in this industry as long as some but the industry likes to play within within the industry Mm -hmm. and where we're going is I think with the more advanced applications we're just another specialized IT developer where we're responsible for our piece the same way as you need to pull the networking guys and the database guys and the application people in so well
0: and that and that's a good point i didn't think about that the fact that we're we're our own specialized entity but we're all kind of under like like i've said before you know a lot of us are under it when it comes to our organizations so all righty um moving on the Infocom, the wonderful people that uh you know we're going to go see in June. Um, Infocom has released a new AV systems checklist. Uh, It's a performance verification checklist. Um, And I see this as being twofold. First of all, uh, you have a new building going in or you have an integrator coming through and and putting up 10 rooms for you. Uh, Here's a chance for you to actually sit down and go, okay, does this work and does this work? Uh, And the other thing is is something we actually talked about last month when it comes to, to preventive maintenance. Uh, it's another way for you to say, sit down and say, you know, hey, this is this this works and this works and this doesn't. So, uh, Scott, is this something? Is this a good idea to 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 use and download and and use from our our wonderful friends at Infocom?
1: I think it is, and I think that this is one of the things that Infocom has begun doing really well in the past few years. Last time we talked about um, the work that Matt did, you know, a year or so ago with the um, the pr- uh, projector contrast standards. Um, you know, I I've rec- recently thought a lot about color management in our classrooms, and I think that um, what we've done really well is you know put rooms in and, and they work, and then we walk away. Mm-hmm. And whether they really look good, whether they really work well, and so by getting these standards, it just it puts less work on us to have to develop the standards. We can give these to our techs. We can get our techs certified in and knowing how to how to do these things. I think it makes a huge difference, and I'm really glad Infocom's done it. One other thing I need to, need to plug is the soon-to-be, although we'll debate that maybe it already is, uh, no longer the technology chair of the Technology <laughs> Managers Council, but there were three tech managers on that committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's an important thing that we see more and more now with Infocom, and I think it's worth pointing out.
0: I wish that we could talk to someone on the AV Systems Performance Verification Task Group. It, oh. would nice, it, it would be nice. It would be nice. Oh look, the first name on here is Matthew Silverman, CTS PMP. That hey, sta- we know him. That stands for pimp, y'all.
3: Uh, <laughs> it, uh, the George easy Pimp. George
0: Mason University. Yeah.
3: Uh, Matt,
0: um, and, and all, all cutting aside, you first of all, you do a whole freaking lot when it comes to committees and and, and standards and stuff. Uh, kind of, I'm not going to ask you if it was a good idea because I'm assuming you think it is. Uh, but kind of walk me through, you know, using this thing.
3: Okay, so this is actually – think of this as a preview of a full ANSI standard that we're hoping that you'll get to see in public review by the show this year. Um, The idea is that we're trying to move the industry towards having a structured process and having a structured way of really verifying what you said you were going to get you got. And this is an update of a checklist that had existed from a couple of years back. And the big changes that you'll see is we try to expand it to be more inclusive. It's a framework. So it doesn't actually provide you metrics on w- what number you need to hit or what specifically you need to hit, but more tries to help you take your project documentation, your systems documentation, and turn it into something that at the end of the project, either you know, any of us as an owner, or a consultant, or an integrator, or hopefully all three are doing. So you verify what you contracted to deliver is actually delivered. I, I actually want to go to something that you mentioned about having tech managers involved. Something the Standards um, Steering Committee is very committed to is representing all segments of the industry. We actually have four identified segments. It's technology managers, manufacturers, system integrators. And uh, consultants, and if you look at the balance that we had on here th- it's been actually phenomenal. We have all of those groups represented as well as an international representation. We have uh, three people from the United Kingdom and one person from Australia wow. and it's really about moving the industry forward by providing us the tools to be competitive um, you know with IT in, in, in a lot of ways and things that we've seen IT as a profession standardize on through either Bixi or through CompTIA or even through project management processes, these are going to be complementary tools which will help us kind of take that seat at the table. Well, and Greg,
0: is this something where you can take, you know, the, the work that, that Matt and the, the gang has done and, and you know, not, not pass it off as your own, but say, hey, look, you know, here's something that we can do um, not only to make our systems last longer, but also verify uh, work that either we've had other people do or um, we we do ourselves. You know, this is a way for us to check ourselves. Uh, I
2: I think this is a really great idea, and I applaud the effort. What, what's my next word? But <laughs> but, um, I I wonder how much use we are going to see with this, um. and and how often it's really going to, you know, I'm concerned about the adoption. I know one of of the things there, it talks about, um, what, if you're a a diamond level uh, certified AV solutions provider? Do they still have those things? Well, see, uh, the comment I was going to make was, well, great we're talking about the diamond and the platinum and the thing that we only see in infocom press releases or when we're ragging on it here on the
0: show and the emerald Um, the yeah
2: yeah they you know that 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 seems like a really weak link i mean i i i think that's a great idea too but you know maybe we need to put a little effort more effort behind you know publicizing what those are or you know do they really mean something out there to people i i kind I'm kinda of wondering about that but but it's the adoption that I worry about and whether people are really going to use it I mean so many of the the items on there were um the the link was per the project documentation and I see that as a little bit of a weakness. I mean, have you seen the project documentation that most integrators provide? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I've seen more detailed uh, schematics come out of a hyperactive six-year-old <laughs> than, than some of the integrator stuff I've seen. Um, so, you know, I, you, you show me one of these completed and all nicely done by a major integrator, and I will buy you an adult beverage of your choice at the show.
3: Oh, no, done, done because I already have a couple of those. But uh, we 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 you'll you'll actually get examples of this coming out. I would say probably probably around the show. We're actually going to have some case studies for you on this. I, um, I hope so. Have, uh, that, that'd and, be and, great. And and, 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 and and actually,
2: I I, I visited yep. Matt last year, and you know now the great big purple fedora makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs>
3: jeez. Oh, <laughs> um, but. I mean, I, and Greg, actually, also, your points are 100% valid there because uh, I may get in trouble with some of the folks down the road from me on this. But decouple the checklist of the show. The the, mm-hmm. the decouple the checklist from the CAVSP program, and I it's right. part of it. It's it's there so you hit certain levels on that. But the whole idea is the checklist is one piece of a total framework that we're looking to release as an ANSI standard. The idea is the standard will tell you how to craft a project specific uh, verification process. What's not in there and we've already talked about this and this is part of the overall industry development is we're actually already forming the next task group which will develop the guide which gets into Really more detailed, which is how do you actually do each item? The one thing we're trying to stay away from is specifying metrics or industry best practices, if you will, because we we
2: want
3: we don't have consensus on those items yet. So it it does, and you you've hit it on the nail on the head. It the really hard part is our industry doesn't like to document. Our industry doesn't like to sometimes do the planning steps. Right. So, we are, and you look at the list. You have, you know, some major integrators on there. You have some major uh, consultants on there. You have Google, and that—that's uh, actually a tech manager from Google. That is not, Google, you know, something they're trying to sell. Uh, Tristan's actually uh, over in the UK. He's he does what we do. Oh wow! Uh, um, so you have people who are really invested in this, and. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised as we move this forward. Who will be announcing day one? They're adopting it, um, but it, it, it's it, it's a big change, and I, I, I think you're right that it may take a little bit of time, and it may not make some people happy.
2: And and it's probably the sort of thing where I'm I'm wondering. Um, managers, you know, we may be able to help push this too. If we see, you know, integrator A subscribes to this and integrator B doesn't, you know, maybe maybe we can steer stuff a particular direction or at least, you know, you know, be the be the clanging symbol and, and, and make that make people aware of, of those sort of differences. Well and also dep- uh, between dep- A and B.
0: It also depends on your level of of input when it comes to new projects. I mean, you can put right. this sort of thing into bid documents and mm-hmm. to you know uh, RFPs, requests for for proposals, where you say, you know what, you have to, you know, you can say you have to have so many CTSs on your on staff. If you are buying a Crestron system, you can say that you have to have you know so many uh, DM you know DMC, uh, DMCE yeah DMCEs um, uh, on on staff, and same thing with 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 AMX and and Extron. So you you can use this not only for your own good but also to to. You know keep your integrators feet to the fire so all right gentlemen uh, one last thing we're gonna um, our good friend mr. Scott Tyner uh, is also not only uh, at, at Bates College but he's also a blogger for the fine folks at rave publications uh, at ravepubs.com. he wrote an article I want to not pick on, <laughs> but uh, oh come on. I give him give him his due and then ask him some questions how about that?
2: It's not like he's going to show up on your doorstep
0: or anything. He lives in Maine.
2: I, I might, just
1: he, depending you know, how the, on how this goes. He, he, has, he has
0: a dog sled. I, I understand everyone in Maine has a dog sled. So. And a dog. So. And a dog. <laughs> That's important. Now, you, you talk about tab tensions, tab tension screens, and you make some really good points and some things that I have absolutely experienced 100%. It doesn't matter uh, the manufacturer. It doesn't matter the size. It doesn't. These suckers just snap which is mm-hmm. kind of what you're getting at, right? Yes. Go ahead and, and vent for a second if you would.
1: So, um, well, first of all, I've got to say, I, I, I wrote this, obviously, as I was venting a little bit. And um, if anybody out there reads it, just know that I, I ought to have proofread this a little bit better.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like somebody got in trouble.
1: No, no. It, I'm just reading it again now going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> People are going to think I don't know how to speak English. Um, okay. know, here, here's okay. the deal. The little tabs on the screens pop,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I noticed it on one and then I noticed it on another, then we've got one that's a year old. you know the picture that's there, that one's you know a year old, and I'm just like, what what's going on? Why are we paying so much money for these things if this is going to happen? So I sent out a, an email to a list that I think all of us are on, um, and I heard back like I said from a dozen people who are like, "Oh no, that happens all the time. We stop buying them because of that." Or, oh, yeah, they'll tell you to just go super glue those things back on. <laughs> and, you know, it's my opinion that I bought this, this screen for X number of thousands of dollars a year ago. I ought not to head o- have to head over with a bottle of superglue to fix it for them. Yeah. Now, I will tell you that uh, when I wrote the blog, I had heard from one person who said that um, they had the same exact problem except for screens over, I think it was like 10 feet diagonal or something oh. like that that those didn't have the problem. And I can't, even, I can't even imagine what those cost. After that, though, I did hear from another person who buys extraordinarily expensive screens um, and said that – and this person said that he uh, had, does not have this issue. And if that person would like to identify themselves, uh, they can feel free to do that during this conversation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it wasn't me. I work for a community college, so – I think that might have been me. Are we, are we talking uh, Stewart screens here? I mean, is that what we're talking? I, we, we buy a lot of
2: Stuart screens here. My now, geez. yes, they're, they're a little on the pricey side now. They are relatively local to us. They're about 20 miles away. They're, they're actually just a couple miles away from where I live. And, um, yeah, they're, they're a little bit more expensive. But I generally don't have this problem. And when I've had this problem they've come up and put them back on.
0: because you can, you can drive by on your way to work and pick up a couple <laughs> screens and throw them in your back seat. Not when they're...
2: I, I have a good number of screens that are, that are, you know, 20, 22 feet, stuff like that. Yes. You know, all the big auditoriums have great big 22 foot or 20 foot or what, bought a couple of 17s, I think, the year before last. Right. You know, in the, in the big auditoriums, I mean, what else, what else do you put in? Um, and generally here, they're all Stuarts. they're all tab tensioned, and I think I replaced the first Stuart screen this last summer that I was here to see get installed, and I've been here 15 years. And so, you know, I'm getting 20 plus years out of most of these things. Um, you know, I... What's, so the be, be, you, you so, are, what's the uh, problem? You you guys are
1: some sometimes you get what you pay for. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Well, yeah, you do. And I'm I'm betting both I'm betting most of you guys are buying screens from, you know, either or both of the two companies there in what is it, Indiana. Indiana.
3: And double D's.
2: Yeah.
1: Well listen though, but <laughs> and and that was part of why I wrote this article though, which is you know, you can say that and that's cool but yet – then stop making them if you can't do it right.
0: <laughs> well, And here's the thing. The, the, one, the, the only thing, I don't buy tab tensions, all right? Um, integrators put them into, into bid specs, and then they just show up on my campus when we have new buildings put up. But if it's me and it's, it's a system I'm doing, I don't buy them because, Scott's right, they're expensive. And the only use case, and, I, and this is where, where I want you guys to correct me on this, the only use case I have ever come up with uh, and 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 really smart people tell me is you buy tab tensions if consistently what you're going to show is is uh, movies or or active video. We're not talking about Powerpoints. We're not talking about slideshows. We're not even talking about you know fancy fancy prezzies or, or keynote presentations. We're talking about you' you're you're in a in a film history class, that has to be a tab tension screen. Anything else? Knock
2: yourself out. Well, it gives you a flatter surface over the life of the screen. If you buy a big screen, you know, after, after 5, 10 years, you know, you're, you're going to have a certain amount of curl there on the edge. Um, you know,
0: it's, it's just going to give you a flatter surface for many years. Matt or uh, <laughs> Greg, I have never. I have 15-year-old screens that are not tab tensioned. Now, they're electric, so they have a little bit of weight going on at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I don't have any curl i I've had that
2: problem but only with non tab tension screens oh. from indiana
0: oh jeez mr I'm silverman way in here
3: oh, okay. i I'm, I'm yeah um i'm kind of with you there tim <laughs> um, i mean i am actually a big fan in a lot of our instances of either manual or wall mounted screens um which i've done a i i, I try to get in because, uh, frankly, most of our screens are down 100% of the time, and I just don't want to spend money on them. And, you know, you go with a manual screen, it starts curving, someone decides to write on it with a marker, mm-hmm. which mm, happens, oh, say, at least twice a semester for us. Um, you don't feel bad about replacing it. I mean, I don't, I don't want to call it a consumable, but it, it, it's a planned expense. And... We've actually put in our current bid spec at right now, we we actually say you are not allowed to bid to have tension. Uh-huh. Um, the only place I've actually considered it as an application, we did go there, that Greg mentioned, is these are super large screens. Uh, we have one 350-seat, really, really old-school lecture hall uh, when the previous screen, which actually had something that resembled a garage door crank on it, fell down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually think that screen may have been, like, twice my age, but it, <laughs> it, it, it definitely gave the university a good 30 years of service. Wow. Um, we, we put a tab tension in that space. I mean, it made sense. It was it was just a huge space. But my average screen is, you know, what, probably, like, about 110, somewhere in that ballpark, maybe 120 diagonal. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not seeing the value, and I'll say one of – There's just one quick thing, you know, I was talking to one of the Indiana companies when I was doing a specialized application where we were actually like flying the screens in the middle of the room. Um, And I, you know, I was a little concerned about, you know, am I going to be picking up from the air handling since there isn't a wall to stop it? Should I put tab tension in there? And they told me, frankly, with the weight on the bottom, it wouldn't make a difference either way. Yeah.
0: so and that that's my experience as well is with that way on the bottom with those electric screens mm-hmm. you simply don't have the need now again if you're in a film history class and, and you're showing you know HD movies all day or or, or 4k you know because we're yeah. getting into that um, then yeah sure knock yourself out just get yourself a bottle of super glue
1: <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, think, I think they might have indicated that it would make a difference because the tab tensioning would break within a few well, minutes There he anyway. is.
3: <laughs>
0: Oh, and, and that's and, what and you call a fair, bow, folks. All of, all of our... Go ahead. Huh? All right, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, all of our screens that are less than about eight or nine feet wide, yeah, they are all cheap manual screens. And, you know, very often they're replaced every three or four years because the the material starts tearing off the batten or something like that because people, you know, un- unhook them and let them slam up into the case. So, yeah, those are those are just junkers. But anything over 10 feet, you know, it's we, we just go with a little bit nicer screen. Although the one thing that is big here that might be a little bit different from what Matt was describing, most of our board systems in the front of the room are what we call the sliders they slide vertically Uh, mm -hmm. so you have one you can write on that goes up to about seven feet and then you can slide that up and so the board system actually runs up to what 11 11 or 12 feet something like that and and we may have a lot of instructors who make use of those systems um, just writing copious notes it's those those professors emeriti again Um, but um, you know Maybe that's the reason we're
0: we're running the screens up and down all the time. Mm. Mm. No, that's a good point. All right, gentlemen. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. With us has been that gentleman there uh, with the you know fifteen million dollar a year budget to buy Stuart screens.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Is Greg Brown?
0: <laughs> I wish Is Greg Brown. I'm sorry. What? What? You only have twenty. Is that the twenty million now? Uh, he's from UCLA. Uh, uh, thank you so much, sir. How can people find you? Follow you? Um, you know, stalk you. Uh,
2: let's see. Uh, Twitter at AV AvGreg. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I blog for. Well, I, you know, the the rumor is I blog for Infocom. I need to uh, start the, doing that again and for their, cranking uh, out some
0: stuff. They're but, all uh, they're they're all voices blog there.
2: Yeah, I, I I got a few in the works, but it's
0: it's been we we had a busy winter. <laughs> you shouldn't call what you have winter. All right. Uh, Speaking of winter, let's go to the North North Pole for Mr. Scott Tyner, who's actually in Maine, but he's close enough, uh, from Bates College. Uh, How can people find you, sir?
1: Well, I am as well on on Twitter, at S. Tyner, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And um, anytime anybody wants to come visit me up in Maine, we'll take you on a ride on the dog sled. Yeah,
3: hey,
0: <laughs> that's that's. Uh, I I will join you in mid August.
1: Okay, uh, talks not going to go very well. Hell, uh, you know. Uh,
0: and last but not least is uh, Mr. Matthew Silverman, uh, our our PMP. Um, he's from, <laughs> from George Mason <laughs> University. Uh, how can people find you, sir?
3: Cruise on uh, the streets of Fairfax in his lowrider. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, I have a flat tire right now, so that's not too far from the truth. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, msilverm and on LinkedIn and a couple other places. But I've not been updating much lately, so there you go.
0: So just basically Twitter, and that's yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. If you'd like to follow me, it is uh, it's at, on the old Twitters is is T D Tim David Albright. Uh, but go by the website if you would please. The uh, the guys who do it have uh, have spent an awful lot of time and, and effort doing it. So go by the website aviation.tv avnation.tv we also have a facebook page linkedin google plus i think we even still have a friendster one i'm not sure uh, <laughs> let's start the website avnation.tv <laughs> avnation.tv <laughs> thank you so much for listening to edtech